There we go. I'm, I was waiting for the little red light to come on so that we know we're, we're recording. Good morning, everybody. And um, I hope you can see me. I can see many of you. And the more of you that I can see, the better, because um, uh, it really is an encouragement to see uh, faces as I speak to you. Um, we're continuing our brief series in uh, the Epistle to the Hebrews this morning, and I'm going to hand straight over to Anna, who is going to read this morning's passage for us. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now, so that you will continue to do God's will then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay, and my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Thank you, Anna. So I put the, um, the reference, uh, the section of the Bible that we're reading from uh, in the chat there. It's Hebrews 10, 32 to uh, the first verse of chapter 11. Um, and I've Try to set up my screen so that I'm sort of looking at you as I read. So I hope I hope I'm looking sort of in your direction. But uh, here we go. Last week, Jeremy brilliantly tackled some uh, very difficult theological subjects. Today, I'm a, I'm sorry, you get the pound shop, Jeremy Rios. That's that's uh, uh, that's how I see myself. But uh, you know, I hope I can do justice to this passage. Um, he was talking about the wrath, or if you're English, the wrath of God. Uh, which needs to be understood in tandem with the confidence that we may have to enter into God's presence because of the ministry of our loving and faithful high priest, Jesus. He gave us an excellent framework for how to think about whether or not we can lose our salvation at some point later in our lives. And the answer, as I understood it, is that Theologically speaking, we don't know for sure whether it's possible, but practically speaking, we had better live as though it is most definitely possible. Otherwise, the Bible wouldn't give us so much clear instruction as to uh, resist that possibility. I bring that up uh, this morning because it seems to me an excellent framework for a lot of theology actually including a major part of today's passage which has to do with the inevitable return of Jesus at some point in the future and we really don't know when that will be but the bible makes it clear that we are to live as though it can happen at any moment Jesus is 
<clears throat> excuse me, Jesus is far more concerned with how we live in obedience to him than he is concerned to show us his travel itinerary. But it's not a question of do this because I say so. It's do this because I have demonstrated it to be the best way. We turn to Jesus not because um, he is a, a, a strict um, authoritarian leader, but because he himself has shown his trustworthiness. So there will always be things that we don't know the detail of, but we know enough to leave the timing to him. So it's to Jesus that we turn in order to understand today's passage. And like the broad sweep of the epistle to the Hebrews, the main message is persevere. And as well as the P of perseverance, per perseverance, perseverance, uh, we have three more P's to consider in this passage. Persecution, possessions, and perspective. And I want to cast our eyes just a little further on uh, in Hebrews to chapter 12, where we are given a picture of running a race uh, that I hope um, will help uh, frame the message uh, that I have for you this morning. It says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Persecution, possessions, and perspective. So let's go back to today's passage where it says, recall those earlier days when after you had been enlightened, uh, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to abuse and persecution, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. And so we come to the idea of persecution. Let me tell you, my dear brothers and sisters, something that I've been trying to explain over the last 10 months to various Christians all over the world, that persecution and inconvenience are not the same things. The closing down of our buildings does not mean that our freedom of worship is being impinged upon by our government. That is something that we are demonstrating manifestly right here and right now. But an even deeper point about worship is this, that to choose not to meet together, however difficult it is, however unpleasant it is, and however inconvenient it is, even though the government were to permit it, to choose not to meet together is our act of worship. It's worship because it's a demonstration of our love for one another and the fruit of our love for God. We need to flip the script here and start viewing our inconveniences, not as some other person's persecution of us, 
but instead of our act of love for others. If we flip the script like that, we might actually begin to reveal the Jesus who we claim to be disciples of and reflect some of his light into this time of great darkness and sorrow. But going back to this verse, we're told that even if we're not experiencing any persecution or abuse ourselves, we are always called to partner with those who are. And as a church, we partner with people in various ways through our own storehouse ministry, but also financially supporting other organisations such as uh, Bethany Christian Trust, who care for the homeless, or International Justice Mission, who tirelessly work against the evil of uh, human trafficking and slavery, Women's Aid, who exists to combat the scourge of domestic violence, and all sorts of other charities. I as uh, the administrator of this church, as well as the worship pastor, have the wonderful job every year around this time of year of writing really big checks to these organizations as the church's 10% tithe that we give away ourselves as an organization. It's such a blessing to be able to do that. But as well as a church, we're called as individuals to partner with people and Although this is a slight tangent to the message of this Bible verse, I did feel while writing this sermon that I needed to use this moment to talk about um, abuse and persecution of another kind. Uh, I'm not going to get graphic because I know there are children present. And in fact, I would like children themselves to listen up at this point too. I simply want to say this, that if there is someone that you are frightened of, or if someone is asking you to do things that make you uncomfortable or sad, it is really important that you reach out and ask someone for help. That person could be your mom or your dad or a teacher or someone you work with. It could be Jim or Rachel. It could even be me. It's really not okay for these things to hide in the darkness and as a church leadership, we want to call out the possibility that it might be happening and that that's not okay. Reach out for help. And if you're on the other side of that, if you're the one frightening somebody, or if you're the one making somebody uncomfortable or sad, there is healing and forgiveness for you too. There is nothing more Christian than repentance. Take this as an invitation to stop what you're doing and experience the power of the Holy Spirit to bring life and freedom to your situation. And I'm just gonna pray even right now, Lord Jesus, would you come and shine a light into the darkness? Come heal wounds that are old and scarred or new and fresh and burning with pain. Turn hearts towards you and bring your healing light to shine into the darkness. And in the name of Jesus, right now, I proclaim healing for the wounded and freedom from captivity. So sorry, guys, to get heavy on you right there, but sometimes these things need to be said and they need to be said from the pulpit. If you need help, do not be silent. Call out for help. Right, back to the verse. I think I've said enough about persecution. On to my next point about possessions. Now, uh, this passage says that those in the church had 
cheerfully accepted the plundering of their possessions because their real possessions were eternal. Now, I really don't think I could cheerfully accept the plundering of my possessions, if I'm totally honest. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff I've got that could be replaced easily enough, but hang on, just check this out from here. This is a, a, a guitar handmade 40 years ago by the Canadian luthier Jean Larabee, and this exquisite inlay work was done by his wife, Wendy. And I am the third and last owner of this guitar. It's a beautiful thing, and you can see that I'm somewhat attached to it, but at some point, I'm not going to be able to take it with me. And it's on things that I'm particularly attached to that Jesus says to me, it is easier, Jesse, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone to enter the kingdom of God with a 1982 custom Larivet LV72 presentation. He knew that we form attachments to our things. So what am I to do? Well, I think I'm to steal myself and say these words. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, this has to be one of, if not the most misused Bible passages, but bear with me. Let's look at that bit in Philippians. It's chapter 4, uh, verses 12 to 13, that leads up to that statement. Paul says this, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being, excuse me, well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. And then he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So when you see that verse taken in, uh, taken out of context, um, it's not saying you can do anything through God who strengthens me. You know, I can't jump off a building and suddenly learn how to fly just because I believe God can do all things through me. It's that God strengthens me to live in contentment with whatever I happen to have and whatever my circumstances happen to be. So it seems that it's not actually material things that God has anything against. It's materialism that we are warned against. It's not money that's the problem. It's the love of money that will lead many away from faith. That's what Paul says uh, to Timothy. And actually, I was, uh, I was interested in who was speaking at the Vineyard National Gathering this week. And one of the speakers I didn't know about, I looked up that he, he's at an interesting church uh, in Hawaii which must be one of those dreadful calls of the Lord, you know, like, like, like the East Coast of Fife. Come, live in the East Coast of Fife. Oh, do I have to, Lord? Oh, yeah, come to Hawaii. Um, anyway, I looked up their church, and they, one of their values is anti-materialism, and I was really interested uh, about that because they said that Jesus spoke about 
um, the morality of money and generosity more than any other moral issue. And I think that is that rings slightly tr that's that rings as probably true. Uh, and it's to that end that we teach and model the sp spiritual practice of tithing in this church. I don't have time to talk about that today, but if you search our archive and um, uh, and search for money or generosity, I'm sure you'll find some excellent talks on the spiritual benefits of what we call financial promiscuity, or in other words, not being able to keep your wallets in your trousers. Now the question, I ask of my and of your relationship with possessions is this, do you possess them or do they possess you? In an amazing book on Sabbath by uh, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, he says, in regard to outward possessions, there is only one proper attitude, to have them, and to be able to do without them. That's what I have to say about possessions. So on to my last point, perspective. The rest of the passage goes on to say this, don't abandon the confidence that you started out with. It will be rewarded. You need endurance to do the will of God. Jesus is coming back soon. Do not shrink back because we have faith, which is the assurance and the hope of these eternal rewards that God has promised us. I'm sure that uh, in the next couple of weeks, uh, Toby's gonna be fleshing out what, what chapter 11 has to say about, about all the heroes of faith and what hope actually means. But let me just say briefly that hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is, based upon the proven track record of the one in whom we hope. And as it says in the passage from last week, he who promised is faithful. Is he actually coming back quickly and without delay? Like it says uh, in this passage, well, clearly what God means when he says quickly is not the same as what I would mean. And the earliest apostles clearly thought that Jesus was going to return in their own lifetimes. And it's obviously taking a little bit longer than that. But like I said at the beginning, Jesus is far more concerned with how we live in obedience to him than he is to, to show us his itinerary. We don't know when he's going to come back, but we're, we know that we're supposed to live as though it could happen at any moment. So on the question of perspective, I'm just gonna share uh, some reflections I've had on my complicated relationship with running. Um, and I know uh, Paul Farley's been doing some brilliant writing on, uh, on this, um, but I just wanna tell you my experience. The maximum distance I've ever run in my life is 10 kilometers. But right now, at the moment, I'm much closer to the couch end of couch to 5K. Um, I am back on the program though, and uh, and it's going well. But a strange mental process seems to happen every time I run, because I know I will feel amazing after my run, but that doesn't seem enough in itself to get me up off the couch. 
in the end, what gets me up off the couch is this, um, this sense of giving my future self a gift. I owe it to future me to push through whatever barriers are trying to prevent me from reaching the inevitable joy that I will experience at the end of expending my effort. And I also know that miserable alternative, which is the feeling of I could have, I should have. And those feelings can be cumulative, making it harder and harder to put those shoes on again. But the only thing I can do is stop sulking and leave the past behind me and just decide to put my shoes on and try again. Now, when I have my shoes on and I'm running, my mind goes through a number of other phases. Uh, <laughs> just a few minutes, just a few minutes into, <laughs> sorry, I have to just enjoy the heckle, the biblical heckle that came through Proverbs 28.1, the wicked run, when no one is chasing them. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I don't know what to do with that, except carry on. <laughs> when I do have my shoes on and I'm running, my mind goes through another bunch of weird phases. So just a couple of minutes into my run, I begin to feel I'm completely incapable of actually reaching the end of the run that I've planned or prepared. So I begin to make a new plan. I think I'll just run half of what I had intended and then I can stop. And then I can tell myself that I did something which is better than nothing. And I carry that feeling almost all the way up to the halfway point. And at the halfway point, I decide it would be far more respectable to go just over halfway. So I give myself that little extra push. And at that point, my mind seems to do a complete about turn. And it says this, you've come this far, you've come more than halfway. Why would you stop now? You know you can do this. You know it because you've done it before. You know it because you've prepared for this. You've done the work. Let's go for the win. Now, I don't want to spend any time turning all of these observations into spiritual ones because I'm sure you get the point. But let me end simply by saying this. Jesus has gone ahead of us. He has made the way clear. He now stands in glory with his arms wide open. There may not be anybody chasing me, but I am running towards something. There, I dealt with your heckle. <laughs> I'm running towards something and you guys are running towards something. Let's run the race. Don't give up now. Not when you've come so far. He has given you everything you need. Push every hindrance aside. Let go of everything that weighs you down. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace.
I pray that God blesses his word to you uh, this morning. And uh, let me just pray to finish. Father, I ask that as we run this race, though sometimes it feels impossible and we feel so weary and overburdened, Lord, would you give us grace? Give us a sense of the eternal reward that you are holding for us, that we might let go of all the things that are weighing us down and continue to run towards you. We thank you that you have already shown us the way. You have already made it to the finish line. And that you, as well as the, the multitude of saints, are cheering us on. Give us endurance and perseverance so that we might finish the race. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.